history of Nelson Iyaba. Be stirred as you listen. So the word today is going to be really amazing. Are you ready to do Bible study? Well, that's what same thing we do every Sunday. Amen. Bible study, very important. Because um, a church meeting without Bible study is a cult group. Amen. I wish I was joking. I'm serious. Amen. So I'm waiting for everybody to settle down. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So... We've been having a sub-series under a series. <laughs> and the series we've been holding has been titled um, Sketches and Fullness, right? TC, please, you need to respond to me like an army today. Amen? Please get out your notepad so that you can take good notes. Um, how, how many of you has, has this happened to? How many of you has this happened to that um, you just learned something and that week you needed what you learned? Give Jesus a wiper. Right? It's because... You know, a teaching ministry is supposed to be proactive, not reactive. All right? The idea is before you get to the question, the answer by God's word has been provided. Are you here? If you are with me, say, uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, I want you to know that, that that is the entire idea. You guys have heard me say this many times, that the job of a ministry gift is to train God's people. Please pay attention to me. The job, oh, that time is one hour ahead, so that's not the real time. Amen. The job of a ministry gift is to train God's people that they become, at the very least, by skill, what God has made him by grace. Are you with me? That they become, at the very least, by what? Skill what God has made him by grace. And that's exactly what we do in the gathering of the saints. When we pray, right, if, if you're home and then your prayer work is dry, you just need to come into the gathering of the saints and receive lubrication, all right? So when you come into the gathering of the saints and you pray, your work with God, your, your prayer life that was dying can receive life again. If you come to the gathering of the saints, you can be excited by God's word in such a way that when, when you are studying the word of God personally, please, are you here? That when you are studying the word of God personally, you also can be, um, you can be excited. You can receive what I call joy in the word. Please, are you here? You can receive what I call joy in in the word and that's the entire point we are doing this and that's exactly why the gathering of the saints the primary thing we do in the gathering of the saints is the teaching of God's word praise the lord so we started um you know we started looking at this christocentric book seeing how the entirety of scriptures ties to one person so we looked at two covenants we said two covenants um written over a period of 1,500 years um, across 10 civilizations um, by over 40 different authors across three different continents, right? But one, one unified story of redemption. That's exactly why the scriptures were written. And then we began to um, explain that when you approach scriptures, you will be approaching scriptures wrongly if you want to read yourself in scriptures. Please, are you with me? 
You'll be approaching scriptures wrongly if you want to read yourself in scriptures rather than read what the author intended scripture to mean. Amen? So, um, today we're going to be looking, at, we're still continuing our series, you know, um, Sketches and Fullness and Gospel Truth, but I want you to pay close attention. But before I start, I wanted to drop an introduction to what we've been saying. Listen, what we are handling is not basics. Are you listening to me? What we are handling is not basics. What we are handling is God's word. You see, um, a lot of people can approach God's word. There is, no, there is no Christian subject matter that is basics. When you approach the subject matter, because a lot of people want to approach scriptures and want to see some strange things, say strange things. The one who sees strange things, and they believe that, you know, when we're talking about the Bible properly exegeted, you know, it is a precursor to something deeper. And then, in approaching scriptures like that, they get into trouble. They get into trouble. But what exactly we are handling is not basics, it is the word of God. It's not what we are using to build upon. It is the foundation itself and the building. Are you with me? It is the foundation and the building. Sound doctrine is never just basics. Sound doctrine is God's word. Are you listening to me? Sound doctrine is never just basics. Sound doctrine is God's word. If you are looking for that sound, it's coming from this fan. You can turn it off, it's fine. It's God's word. I wanted to emphasize on something I had been explaining on before. And you know how we were looking at... Give me Galatians chapter 3 from verse 14. Galatians chapter 3 from verse 14. So, we looked at this and it said that the blessing of Abraham might come under who? Guys, are you here? Come on now. We, we express ourselves better than this. That the blessing of Abraham might come under who? Through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the what? Promise of the Spirit by faith. So, in this, what we know is the blessing of Abraham is the coming of the Spirit upon the Gentiles by faith. So, the blessing of Abraham is not justification by faith. Are you listening to me? The blessing of Abraham is not justification by faith. The blessing of Abraham is not material wealth. Please, are you here? The blessing of Abraham is the promise of the Spirit coming by faith. So, if you have the Spirit, it is a proof you are justified by faith. Are you with me? Please follow me carefully. If you have the Spirit, it is proof that you are what? Justified by faith. But, the blessing of Abraham is not justification by faith. The blessing of, of course, if you have the blessing of Abraham, you are justified by faith. That is exactly why you have the Spirit. Are you with me? But the blessing of Abraham is the giving of the spirit to the Gentiles by faith. So when what you have in the spirit is better than what Abraham had by money alone. So Abraham was very wealthy, but the blessing of Abraham that God had promised and Isaac and Jacob and it came and was fulfilled in Christ was the spirit. So truly the giving of the spirit within is something more than gold. Praise the Lord. All right. The spirit is a seal, is a sign. And, you know, I'm just building upon what we had been explaining, Jaira, right? Um, we were explaining Jaira, and I basically explained how Jaira isn't 
You know, last week I explained how Jaira, the meaning of Jaira is not God provides. That's not the meaning of Jaira. I mean, if you, if you have a, a, a lexicon, a Greek dictionary, if you check the word Jaira, the word Jaira actually means God will see to it. Are you here? Jaira means God will what? See to it. So it's not a, it is, the implication is that God will provide. But the meaning is not exactly God will provide. It is that God will what? See to it. So when you look at the fact that Jairah is exactly used in the context of Abraham and Isaac. And then we see that Isaac illustrates, you know, the, the crucifixion of the Messiah on the cross. You know, the sacrifice of his son. That in faith, Abraham had already offered up Isaac. What exactly Jairah is, you know, when you look at it, beyond our needs. Even though if God can meet our need in salvation, what are our material needs that he cannot meet? Do you understand what I'm saying? But the exact context of that is that God will see to it. And what is this? Jairah means that God saw that the salvation plan was going to be fulfilled. Are you here? Jaira was that God saw that his salvation plan was going to be fulfilled. The salvation plan is the same plan that had existed before the foundation of the world that God saw through till the very end. Say amen. 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 So today we're going to be looking at um, we're going to be looking at just um, what did I call this sermon? Judgment and what? Righteousness. Judgment and righteousness so i'm going to be answering a few philosophical questions before we get into please i need you guys to respond to me because it seems like we're very cold today amen i'm going to be answering a few questions that a couple of people asked first of all why does god judge and why does God punish? Why does God judge and why does God punish? To what end does he do these things? You see, these questions seem basic until you meet someone who actually asks this question and people don't know the answer. Please, are you here? Turn your Bible to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4. Are you here? Look at this. He said he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. Another translation will say all his ways are just. All his ways are what? A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Give me another. Hmm. Give me another translation. Let me see. Okay. It says he is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is what? Just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? Now when KJV says that the ways of the Lord, you know, is judgment. It means that. If God does not judge, we can't say he's just. Are you listening to me? If God does not judge, we can't say he's just. So, a lot of people will ask questions like, 
Why will God do that? But if God does not judge, he's not just. A just judge is to judge. And a lot of people want God to only give good. But the thing is this, any justice system that only gives good and does not recompense evil is not a just system. Are you here? For example, imagine you have a judge and that judge is always awarding people on behalf of the state or the justice system. Well, I know a country like that. Is always awarding people on behalf of the state. And that justice system is never reproving people for the wrong they've done against that state. Can you say that that justice system is good? No. Because a justice system that only rewards and does not recompense is a, is a faulty and a failed justice system. So if the Lord is good and all his ways are judgments and all his ways are just, then we can say that for this God to judge, this God must be good. Or if this God is good, he must judge. Are you with me? He must judge. So, a few other questions. You know, I've answered this a few times. So, a lot of people ask two-sided questions. Then they'll say, if God is good, why does he allow so much evil in the world? You know, we answered that in the, in the teaching on theodicy. If God is good, why does, he answer, why does he allow so much evil in the world? And then on the flip side, when God now does something about evil, they'll say, why will a good God judge evil like that? Let me explain. So, a lot of people have questions with... They say, um, you say God is good. Then why do we have all the kind of things we have on the earth? Thank you. And then they come to topics like what we are going to cover today, like Noah's flood, and then the Passover and things. If you say that this God is good, when he now did something about evil, then they will now say, why will God do that? So the question is, do you want God to do something about evil or not? Please, are you guys with me? Do you want God to do something about evil or not? Most times, some people have genuine questions. But other times, when atheists ask that, they think that they are being smart and boxing the believer in a corner. So, that, I'm just exposing the two-sided contradictory arguments that many atheists have. On, the, on another side, I'm sure some of you have had these questions. Why will God punish temporary sin for all of eternity? Is that fair? Like someone sinned in time, but then the person is going to be punished for all of eternity. Why would God do that? That's not fair, isn't it? It's not fair. But let me explain why. God, like any other justice system, does not punish on our level. He punishes on his own. You didn't sin against yourself. You sinned against him. Are you with me? You didn't sin against yourself. You sinned against him. For example, if you sin against the UK, if you break the laws, the UK is going to persecute you. You know when they say, we're going to persecute you to the full extent of the law. It means that all the powers of the state are going to be behind your prosecution. So if it's left to your friend, you know, you're going to say, oh, the worst your friend will do to you is beat you up. Because that's all, and that's exactly why Jesus would say, don't be afraid of them who can kill just the body. Don't be afraid of those who can kill just the body. But be afraid of he who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. It means that if God wants to punish you, it will go beyond the body. 
Let me explain. A lot of people don't know the implications of a God that judges. First of all, if there is no stand, if there is no God, then your standard of morality is an opinion. There has to be a standard of morality that exists above all of us for you to say, because if you say um, there's Hitler and there's Mother Teresa, and you say Hitler is wrong, but I don't believe in God. How do you know Hitler is wrong? Well, it's just wrong. Says who? Says me. Who are you? Who is your father? <laughs> who, who are you? Who are, I don't know you. I don't, and I don't even care about how you feel. And somebody will say, well, you are supposed to know. Can you say that to a sociopath? He says, it's just an internal feeling. No. No. And that's why in our generation where people are always running with, do you, act how you feel. Full, obey your thirst. If you engage all your passions, you will die young. I promise you. Because even nature teaches us. Have you seen that the things that keep you healthy are not the things that are sweet to eat? The things that keep you healthy are not, I mean, we all wish you could drink ice cream in preparation of summer body. We all wish. But if you take ice cream, I mean, look at a child, for example. If you give a child all the child wants, the child will not reach five. Amen. So if you engage all your passions, how did I even get to passions? But anyways, punishment, isn't it? If you engage all your passions, you will self-destruct. You will self-destruct. But back to God. God does not punish on our level. He punishes on his own. So God, yes, I remember where I was going with that. Now, so if somebody says, Man's justice system cannot be the ultimate justice system. And I'll tell you why. If a man does something wrong, the worst I can do is kill that man. Are you here? The worst I can do is what? Kill that man. But can I tell you something? Hitler died, Mother Teresa died too. So how fair is that? Are you with me? How fair is that? But we know, and a lot of people say, how do you believe, how do you know there's hell, there's heaven? How are you sure you're not being scammed? You know, somebody said something, tweeted something, you see, Twitter, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We come for you, if you come for Jesus. Someone said, how do you know heaven and hell is real? Um, you're being scammed. There's nothing like heaven. There's only earth when you die, you're one food. First of all, you've never died, been buried and come back from the dead. So what you are saying, your source is, I promise I'm not lying. That's your source. But we know someone who died, was buried, rose again, never to die again. So if he tells us that there is eternal judgment, there is life after death, we believe him. Every other religion says, there is something after here. But their progenitor died and is still dead. How do we know he's telling the truth? But we know someone who died, was buried, rose again, never to die again, and says, if you believe on me, you have eternal life. This is something that nobody in all of humanity has ever done. It is not a folk tale. It is something that is true. There is historical and archaeological proof that there is a man called Jesus Jesus. 
that walked the face of the earth. There were historians who were not Christians that recorded that there is one called Jesus. And he walked miracles. And then he died. And most, there's a lot of fact, probably during Easter, I'll do a teaching along those lines. But there is fact that there is this man called Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And that is the crux of the Christian faith. And that's why if he did not rise, we are of all men most what? Miserable. Amen. Do I sound good on this mic? Okay. Help me appreciate Daniel, everybody. Daniel, smile, smile. Thank you. So God does not judge. And that's the thing. You, go, you can't come before a judge and say how you would like to be judged. The judge judges in his full capacity as a judge. So you don't say, this is how I want to. So you say, why is it fair that God does this? Well, you didn't just sin against yourself, first of all. You sinned against him. And the one you sinned against is the all-powerful, all-eternal God. So he's not going to judge you on your temporary level. He's going to judge you on his immortal level. On his immortal level. And then a lot of people like all these emotional things. You know, um, a man of God said something I will never forget. He said, hell is not the absence of God. Hell is God present in his full wrath. It's not the absence of God. It's God present how? In his full wrath. Somebody's wondering, what kind of teaching is this? Just hang in there. I'm going somewhere. I remember one of the, I think one of the leading apologists of our time. Someone asked, I'm not sure if it's him or him, but he shared a story. He said someone met him. Please pay attention to this story. Please, where's your wife, man of God? Okay. Someone went to, someone reached out to someone and said, <laughs> crazy things are happening. So, she said that, or the guy was talking to this person and said, his grandmom ex um, lived through the Holocaust. You, we all know what the Holocaust is, right? She lived through the Holocaust. Thank you, how are you? Lived through the Holocaust. I blush. Never choke and die. <laughs> Alrighty. The person lived through the Holocaust, right? And then, as she lived through the Holocaust, you know, someone came to preach to her. The guy was sharing the story, and then he was talking about how Jesus rose. And then, and then this guy, who is an atheist, looked at the apologist and said, I want to tell you something, and I want you to answer me categorically. He said, my grandmom lived through the Holocaust, or his mom, I can't remember. And people preached, came to preach to the grandmom, and then they told the grandmom that, you know, Jesus and stuff. And the grandmom said she doesn't care, and the grandmom was never saved till she died. Are you here? She was never saved till she died. And she said, can you categorically tell me where my mother is? Is my mother in heaven? Categorically tell me. And the guy thought for a minute and looked at him. And pay attention to what he said. He said, God is too loving to take your mother into heaven without her permission. God is too loving you see, the Bible says, John 3, 17, they that don't believe are condemned already. 
you are walking in condemnation. So when you die, you are just continuing from where you stopped. Are you getting me? You are continuing from where you stopped. You were living under condemnation. You rejected Jesus. And then you are just continuing from where you stopped. All these things I'm saying is because of the kind of teaching we're having today. Are you being blessed already? I'm already I can already tell that this teaching is going to make sense. Amen. Because yesterday as I was writing it, I said, what a word. Anyways. Now, when we say sin, when we say sin, remember what I said? We are looking Sin is not just about what you did. It's who you sinned against. Are you with me? It's who you sinned against. That's exactly what we are looking at. So, (laughs) thank you, Jesus. Now, when we say sin, it's not just about what you did. It's who you sinned against. Who you sinned against. And that's, that's very important. And this is exactly why, you see, um, God, usually we look at our goodness relative to another person's goodness. And that's why you hear some people who say things like, are you saying Muslims are going to go to hell? But I know Muslims who are well behaved, even better behaved than many Christians. The problem is this. You think you can be good enough for heaven. See, if you look at the blazing holiness of God, you will know you cannot stand on your own. Are you here? If you look at the blazing holiness of God, you will know that the only one that can have us escape judgment is the one who is that holy. Only the judge can provide a way of escape that is good enough for him. So, when people say things like, um, but Muslims are well behaved, it's not about behavior. Because if you are going to stand based on your own works, huh, you will re- when you see him, you will know that your works are nothing compared to his holiness because a man is going to be judged on the basis or your judge you are going to be put on this side the holiness of god is going to put on this side. and i assure you the most best behaved person cannot stand before him and say i've done enough because many times when we think of sin we think of our sin relative to somebody maybe if they were two and relative to adeshola you might have gone to heaven Maybe if it was on the basis of haircut, Doc will enter before all of us. Are you getting me now? It was on the basis of haircut. But it cannot be, shall I senior colleague? <laughs> it cannot be on the basis of all that. Why? Because when you realize how holy God is, you realize that by myself, I cannot help myself. I cannot help myself. So when we say that he's in a class all by himself. When we talk about God being holy, what that really means is that when you are accurately describing God, the word like loses accurate description. He is not like any other thing. He cannot be compared to anything. So, holy means that he's in a class all by himself. He's separated from every other thing. 
Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says he humbles himself to touch the things in heaven. It means that the fact that God has a throne is humility. <laughs> he humbles himself to touch the things in heaven and you think that you can please God with your works. Ah, come on now. So we say, some Muslims are good. There are people who are better behaved. Do you think you'll get to heaven? Yes, why? Because I'm better behaved. Compared to what and who? But then, to escape the judgment, because God is going to judge sin. But to escape the judgment of God, only God can make an escape that is fitting. Only God can make an escape that's fitting. Only God can. And you know, we have been teaching in this series, what is God's escape? Salvation by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. You know, I went on evangelism on Saturday morning, by 1 a.m. Yeah, I went to a club in Acadia. So, I was talking to one guy. Um, I was talking to a lady, actually. And I asked her, what do you think happens when we, some of you are saying, oh, you went to club? Yeah. I went to, it has not sunk. Doesn't matter, I went to evangelize. But I went, I went with a group of people to evangelize. And diff, we met different people, Muslims, everything, and all. Whether I enter or not, people that want to believe will still believe what they want to believe. I don't care. So I went to, I met this lady, and she was speaking. I said, if you die, what happens? And she was like, and that question is very vital because death puts life in perspective. I said, what happens? She was like, well, you know, if I get baptized, she was vaping and talking to me. She said, if I get baptized, um, you know, all my sins will be washed away yesterday, so tomorrow I'll just go to heaven. I said, they play. And, uh, you learn. And I was talking to her, and I said, she said, so if your bad outweighs your good. You know, a lot of people think that's how to make heaven. So, do you, need, do you need Jesus now? No, but when I'm about to die, I quickly say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. It's not the power of God unto salvation. Yeah. It's not. It's not. So, I was talking to the lady, and I said, okay, first of all, I saw them wearing handkerchief in coat. <laughs> eh? One handkerchief, half a handkerchief. <laughs> and then you are walking. I said, eh? In eight degrees. I said, do you? Shall I receive this Jesus? This is where we are going to. You know, and she was talking, I was talking to her. And she said, if your bad outweighs your good, then, you know, first of all, God is not judging on the basis of bad outweighing good. God is judging on the basis of your standard against, or your level against his standard. So I said, okay. Um, she said, I said, let me ask you a question. Because a lot of us have not thought about our convictions deeply. I said, if you go before a judge and then you were accused of, I was trying to think, and I said, Grand Theft Auto, Father, you have provided. Thank you, Lord. I said, if you are going to be accused of Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto means when you steal a car. For some of us who don't know, it's not just game. When you steal a car. I said, if you are going to be accused of that and the judge looks at you, if the judge looks at you and says, and you say, oh, why are you here? You say, Grand Theft Auto. And the judge says, okay, I did this. 
And the judge now says, but you've done other good things, right? He say, yeah, he said, all right. Your good outweighs your bad. Don't do that again. Is the judge just? And she was like, well, why are you going to go there? Oh, my God. I said, worry, <laughs> She said, why would you have to go there? She, she thought about it deeply. She was like, um, hmm, wow. See, <laughs> that's exactly why if you stand before a judge and you say, I'm sorry, you will still pay the punishment. Though. So that should tell you that what saves a man is no, I'm sorry. And that's exactly why when the Bible usually uses forgiveness, it uses it, or forgiveness to refer to the believer, it is in the past. You have he what? Forgiven. Consistently uses that word, forgiven. Forgive, even as Christ for God's sake has forgiven you. He said, in him we have redemption. Even the, in him we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness. So, if you have come into his blood and redemption, your sins are forgiven. It's not will be, it is forgiven. First of all, let me tell you something. If you think you have to confess your sin every time before you are forgiven, you are going to hell. Believe it. Because you know the ones of commission are omission. <laughs> Believe it. But, of course, when the believer falls to sin, the believer is supposed to feel bad, cut to the heart and say, Lord, this is wrong. I repent from this. I know I did this and it's wrong. So you're supposed to confess in some sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're supposed to confess and say, this is wrong. I repent of this and then walk. But if you think that your forgiveness is in, your, is in what you confess rather than in his blood, your faith is misplaced. So what is this escape that God has made? Remember what I said. The, Bible's, um, the Bible lets us basically understand that the escape that the judge must make must be an escape that is fitting to the judge. Are you here? It must be an escape that is what? Fitting to the judge. But what is God's escape? Salvation. Believing by grace through faith. That is the one that is fitting. That's the one that is fitting. And simply put, what takes men to hell? Let me ask you, what takes men to hell? Ah, this is my church. I'm doing a good job. Except for Asher, but because he's saved by faith and the blood of Jesus. But, but every other person, I'm doing a good job. And if somebody's wondering, uh, what do you mean by unbelief? Do you know what the Bible says? He said, you know, I went out to evangelize around first stack in Lagos one time. We're going to go out evangelizing soon. Yeah. We're going to, you see that, that ninth evangelism is something I'd been, as soon as I came into the country, it, the Lord dropped it on my heart. I said, this is something I want to do. And then, I mean, a few months later, we're running it. They do it every other Friday. I say, uh -uh. if it's not broken, why fix it? Why start a new one where there are people to just join and do it? So I went out with them. It was fun. The good thing about evangelizing at that midnight is nobody's going home. You obviously didn't come out by midnight to go home. So you can't say you are in a hurry. Say, lie, you're not. So he sat down. And the interesting thing is, you, you know, evangelizing people were breaking down in tears. They are crying and everything. And I saw one Muslim guy, he was just lying. So he was talking to one of my guys. And the guy, me and my partner just passed. He just quickly called us. <laughs> and he said, so this is what this guy is saying. And this is why teaching is important. 
He said, show me a place where Jesus, because Muslims, we're going to do a teaching on apologetics against Islam. Muslims regurgitate what they heard Zakir Naik say. So when the guy kept on saying, I said, you learned this thing from Zakir Naik and Ahmed did that. His eyes opened. I said, I know your game. I'm familiar with your game. So I told him, and then he said, name one place where Jesus said, I am God, worship me. I said, name one place where Jesus said, I'm a prophet, don't worship me. I'm not you. We are in this together. So, anyways. So it's very, it's very interesting. I mean, people were caught to the heart. We'll go out evangelizing soon. Prepare. And that's exactly why we're doing all these teachings on the gospel. So that you can prepare. Alright? Especially those of us around. Prepare. We're going to go out evangelizing. The thing is, you never really appreciate the word you are hearing until you hear what other people know. So, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, I gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, whosoever does what? Believes. It means that it is belief that qualifies someone for eternal life. The next verse now says, whosoever, you know, I remember the story I wanted to share, going out in first act to preach. I was talking to someone and she was like, um, um, <laughs> I said, what qualifies you for heaven? Oh, no, it's another person that, got, that was talking to her. I said, what qualifies you? She said, you know, you have to do good works. You have to um, do this, do that. And she was like, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world, I gave does believe should not perish by everlasting life. What qualifies you for heaven? Well, you have to do good works. He said, quote it again. The thing is, many times we are not listening to what we are saying. Or we don't believe the Bible enough. For God so loved the world, that, gives, that whosoever does what? Believes. But you know what the next verse says? Whosoever does not believe is what? Condemned already. So what will give you this way is condemnation. Give me verse 16, the B part. Or is it 18? It's 18, yes. I know it's 18. It said, he that believeth on him is not what? But he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. It's clear as day. If you believe, eternal life. If you don't believe, condemnation. No in-between. No purgatory. Are you here? No in-between. No purgatory. Heaven, hell. Choose one. <laughs> Amen. Now, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm taking my time is so that this can be systematic. But preceding judgment, you know, we're talking of judgment and righteousness, right? Preceding judgment is something called hardness of heart. Say hardness of heart. And one good thing about Bible studies, when you listen to a Bible teacher, you don't just um, learn, you also learn how to study. And you learn how to teach as well. So, Bible terms must be described biblically. Say Bible terms must be described biblically. Now, what exactly does hardness of heart mean? Matthew chapter 19 Verse 8. We're going to be looking at a few verses. Matthew 19, 8. Mark 3, 5. You know what? Um, all right. Look at this. This is Jesus speaking. The, you know, the, the context of this is they were asking Jesus about divorce. And Jesus said, He saith unto them, Moses, because of the what? Hardness. Of your heart. Suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not. So it means that this was not God's plan. But because of the hardness of their heart. 
Moses allowed it to be so. Now, why is this? What exactly does hardness of heart mean here? You need to go back to understand who the Israelites were. The Israelites were people who saw miracle after miracle. They were the people that saw the first aquarium in the world. The Bible says in Exodus 14, it said that the sea was to the left and to their right congealed. God fed them with raining Nando's. As I said, I felt it upon me. I need to go there. God fed them with coriander seed and bread. In fact, God gave them bread. Do you know what manna literally means? What is this? They didn't know what it was, but it tasted like honey in their mouth. God fed them every day with quails. They said, will we die? God changed the diet. See, God was feeding you now. You are walking shit. <laughs> but God was feeding them. Imagine as you just stand and say, Father, your bill money will just, a raven, will just enter and drop your bill money and go out. You say, Father, you are my God. You, right? And he was feeding them every day. Yet, consistently, when Moses went to the mountain, they turned back and then some of them climbed, some of them made golden calves. They saw miracle after miracle, yet we're in unbelief. Do you know what the Bible says in Galatians? It says the same gospel that was preached to us was preached to them, but it did not profit them not being mixed with what? Faith. Not be, so they saw miracle after miracle and did not believe. And Jesus summarizes it as what? Hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. Unbelief, you are correct. But hardness. I want to ex, ex, um, exhaust my text. Matthew, Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Then prepare Mark 10, 5 after this. But Mark 3, 5. Help me celebrate Osea. She's doing a really good job with this thing. Look at this. He said, and when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thy hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was, go back to verse 3. Go back to verse 3. He said, and he said unto the man who had a withered hand, stand forth, verse 4. And he said unto them, no, Okay, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they did what? Held their peace. The next verse, Jesus, verse 5. He said, and when he looked around and he saw the man with hardness of heart, stretch forth thy hand, da, da, da. Now, the backdrop of this was this. Jesus was doing good, but their concern was, why are you doing it on the Sabbath day? And the reason they were saying, why are you doing it on the Sabbath day, was because of the what? Hardness of their heart, their unbelief. Because they had seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle, but refused to accept him as the Messiah. Please, TC, are you with me? But refused to accept him as the Messiah. And what did Jesus summarize it to be? He saw their what? Hardness of the... Mark chapter 10, verse, verse 5. Mark 10. Mark 10. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote... You this priest. Okay, that's when Moses wrote the same thing. You know that they can divorce their wives. Give me Romans chapter 2 verse 5. Then Matthew 16, 14. Romans 2, 5. Look at this. Go, go back to verse 3. Let's start from verse 3. He said, let's start on verse 1. Let's read it into 5. He said, therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, 
Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou what? Condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the what? Come on, guys, are you here? You guys know we don't do 30 minutes sermon. Are you tired? Uh-huh, please answer me. Next verse. He said, but we are sure, look at this, that the judgment of God, look at this, is according to truth against them which commit such things. Uh-huh. Verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, thou judgest, and does thou think you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 4. He said, or despise the forbearance, I'm missing something. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. Verse 5. He said, hold on, let me open this in my Bible. I'm missing something here. Romans 2. Okay, it's in Romans 1 he said that. But this is Paul saying, After thy hardness and impertinent heart, treasure it for thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, when you go back to Romans 1, do you know what Paul said? Paul said that God's wrath is not just coming on people who do evil, but who delight in others who do evil. And then Paul says that they are inexcusable. Why? Because even the visible things are revealing to us the invisible characteristics of God. They are revealing the invisible characteristics of God, yet they still hold on in their heart in unbelief. Everything I'm saying is going to head somewhere. Go to, um, what's the next verse I said? Matthew chapter 16 verse 14. Who said, check your message. Matthew 16 14. Is that what I wrote here? Yes, sir. Um, after there's some doubt, next verse, let me see the next verse. Go back to verse 13. I think I wrote the wrong verse. Cancel this out. I think I wrote the wrong verse in my notes. But when we look at Matthew 19, when we look at Mark 3, Matthew 10, Romans 2, everything, hardness of heart is not just people who refuse to believe. Hardness of heart is people who have all the evidence they need to believe but refuse to believe. Are you with me? They have all the evidence they need but do what? Refuse to believe. If you look at Matthew, the Bible says Jesus was about to heal the man that had the withered hand. They had seen miracle after miracle that was enough to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah, but they refused to believe. The children of Israel, they had seen miracle after miracle. The sea was congealed. The, imagine walking through a miracle. The sea on this side, the sea on this side, but yet they did what? They refused to believe. So what is hardness of heart? Unpersuadableness. It means that you have more than enough reasons to believe, yet still refuse to believe. And that's why Paul said you are storing for yourself wrath against the day of wrath. So when God judges, God is just. Are you here? When God judges, God is what? Four things we see before judgment. Number one, there's an entreating. Meaning that God is trying to woo people. God is reaching out to them. There's an entreating. Number two, there's the hardness of heart. Number three, there's the faith that births obedience. And then finally, there's judgment. There's entreating. There's hardness of heart. 
there is faith that bets obedience, and then there is what? Judgment. Now, we're going to be looking at two stories. Everything I said is an introduction, amen? We're going to be looking at two stories that I had written out that we're going to land on. Some of you, I don't know why you're not taking notes. I hope you listen to this sermon again. Number one, we're going to be looking at two people. What I'm teaching on is still under our gospel series. Are you aware? Number one, Noah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Genesis chapter... Six. Genesis chapter six. Now, I'm going to just pick out things because of our time and I want to hit the high points. First of all, faith and obedience go together. Remember I said last week that a lot of people think faith plus good works equals to salvation. But biblically, what it actually is, is salvation or faith is equals to salvation plus good works. It means that if you have faith, the difference between the first and the second is a lot of people think that if you add good works to your faith, you will be saved. But biblically speaking, we know that good works are not the prerequisite or good, good works plus faith is not the prerequisite for salvation. Good works are the proof of faith. So, faith is equal to salvation plus good works. So if you have faith, you will be saved. And because you are saved, you will produce good works. Are you here? Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, it said, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Then it tells us that you are the workmanship. You are his workmanship. Created in Christ what? Created in Christ what? Unto good works. Because you are created in Christ, right? You will do good works. You don't do good works to be saved, but because you have been saved, you will do good works. So the backdrop of this is, the, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6, you know, it says that there was, there was wickedness upon the face of the earth. In fact, that time, it was wild. You need to imagine a time, anyways, you need to imagine a time where in an entire generation, it is only a man, eight people in a generation that God could say we're right. Please, are you here? Only eight people in a generation that God could say we're right. But remember what I said, faith usually and obedience go together. Let me even finish that thought. I'm so sorry I jumped through this. You can't be in faith and not make certain moves. For example, in the salvific sense, you can't say you believe in Jesus and not behave properly. See, you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's between you and God. Are you? It's only God who knows who has faith. You may be faking. Only God knows who has faith. Huh? But you see, how we know that you are saved is your works. You are not saved by works. 
But you are proving your salvation because your faith is so energetic, it will produce good works, sir. Are you here? A man who consistently acts is in error. We can, we can categorically say that. And that's exactly why James will say, if you hate your brother, you are in darkness until now. Like it's predictable. If you hate your brother, you are in darkness. Because the man who is born again does not hate. Uh, a work has been worked in his heart. And that's why, you see, I'm going to say many things. Or one of these things I'm going to say before I jump back to the teaching. When I hear people say, I love God, but I don't do church. You are a liar. You can't love the Lord and hate his body. Ah. You can't say you love the Lord and not want to gather with the saints. You can't say you love the Lord. The service is too long. Can I preach? Nah. It's true. I'm going to make it real sometime this week. A lot of people think they want to be serious with God. A lot of people think they want to grow spiritually. There are people who call me and say, I want you to be my pastor. I don't know. I'm drawn to you. The Lord shall follow you. They say all those things. And how many of my sermons have you listened to? How many? And he's on YouTube waiting for you. How many have you listened to? He's on podcast. How many have you listened to? And we pray. You, you say, I don't know, every time I pray, it's just between me and the Lord. Spiritual growth is not on your terms. You can't say you love the Lord and hate his body. It's predictable. There's a way we will hear you talk. Eh? It's either the devil has desired to sift you as wheat and we need to begin to pray for you or you're an imposter and you don't love the Lord. It's one of the two. It's one of the two. So faith has corresponding actions. And I'm going to use the Noah story to show you the types and shadows. Now, we are not saying types and shadows because we just picked it out of the blues. In the New Testament, we see these things being spoken of. So it is not a type and shadow if the epistles don't talk about it. If the apostles didn't write about it, it is not a type and shadow. Are you here? Uh-huh. But even though we can pick illustrations. Remember I said there's different between illustrations and typifications. Right? But look at this. So whether it is charismatic faith or salvific faith. In salvific faith, we see good works. When you see that a man has changed, we can say that this man is saved. He has become saved. In charismatic faith, the woman saw Jesus. She pressed through the crowd and said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made what? Whole. So when she saw Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment, that is faith in actions. Jesus is the... the um, lame man's friends, they broke the roof and let the man down. And Jesus spoke about their faith. Faith is seen in actions. Are you here? Faith is of the heart, but faith will birth actions. Whether it is charismatic or salvific. Because there are words that have different nuances, but usually they have the same expression. Grace can be of, you know, there, there are ways graces are used. Whether it is what God gives to a man to do ministry or in salvation. But in whatever context you look at it, it is the manifestation of the kindness of God. Are you here? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, the Lord told Moses and Noah, he said, build an ark. Build an ark. First of all, the first thing you need to find out, write this down. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. The Bible says that um, 
Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. The Bible says, thank you Jesus. Okay. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. The Bible says, and Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I'm trying to see. Should I jump this? Should I jump this? Okay, open 2 Peter 2, verse 5. Let's start from the let's start from the fullness, then we'll walk our way back. 2 Peter 2, verse 5. Give me, let's start from verse 4. Look at this. This is now. Peter is teaching us that the ark is a typification of the judgment to come. Are you with me? It's a typification of the judgment to come. And look at what he says. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of judgment to be reserved, chains of darkness, to be reserved into judgment. Verse 4, verse 5. He said, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the what? Ungodly. Next verse. Let me see the next verse. Okay, I'm turning to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, hold on. He's basically saying, if God did not spare that age, but saved Noah, huh? that's exactly how the judgment of this age is also going to come. Are you with me? So, it means that God is also going to save some and going to also judge the ungodly. Are you here? Follow me. I'm, I'm, I'm heading somewhere. Um, Second Peter 3. Give me verse 3, chapter 3, from verse 5 to 9. He said, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, out of the water and in the water. Hold on. Listen, if you study mythologies of every religion, even archaeological studies, Everyone agrees that a point came in that the world was covered with a large mass of water. Everybody. Verse 6. He said, whereby the world was, that then was being overflowed with water, did what? Verse, verse, I said to verse 6, right? No, I said to verse 9. Let's go to 9. 7. He said, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire. Now, you remember that God made a covenant to Noah that he will not destroy the world by water again. So the next destruction will be what? Fire. So he's drawing parallels between that destruction and the one to come. So if we explain away the destruction of Noah's age, we have no biblical parallel for the destruction to come. He says, Unto the day of judgment, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What this means is the same way God judged Noah's age by water is the same way God will judge this age by fire. And the same way he destroyed ungodly men, the same way he will destroy ungodly men. Verse 9, verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. A day with the Lord is like a thousand. Yes, as one day. Verse 9. He said, the Lord is not slack. Concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, word, not willing that any should what perish, but that all should come to what 
repentance. Now, if you go to Luke 17, verse 26 and 27, just write that down. Luke 17, 26 and 27. Jesus said the same thing. He said, look at this. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Next verse. He said, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, let me, let, me, let me just run through this. There is a lot of parallel between the day of Noah and the judgment to come. Are you with me? We see that, right? There's a lot of parallel. But well, let's start from somewhere. On what premise was Noah saved? Genesis 6 that I said to you, 6, 8, right? He said, and Noah found what? Grace in the sight of God. First of all, God's plan for saving man has always been grace. What that means is it is his unparalleled kindness that saves a man. Are you here? It is that kindness that saves all men. God has, remember what the Bible says in that Roman, um, 2 Peter chapter, um, is it 5 9 we read? Or 3 9? 5 9. 2 Peter 3 9. He said it is not his will that any should what? Perish. God's plan has always been that man be saved by grace. Because why was Noah saved? He found grace. Please, are you here? He found grace in the sight of God. That's number one. Number two, the Bible records that in Noah's time, rain had never fallen. Rain had never fallen. If you read Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, from verse 4 to 6, the Bible says that dew came from the ground and watered the plants. Please, are you with me? Dew came, guys, are you here? Uh-huh. Dew came from the ground, trying to rush. Dew came from the ground and watered the plants. And that's exactly how the plants were watered. There was no rain. But God told Noah, he said, build an ark. Now, Hebrews 11, 7. Hebrews 11, 7. Yes, there was a mist went up from the ground and watered the whole face of the ground. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Let's read this like a mass choir. One, two, go. No, 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 no. Come on. Let's read it. Clear your throat a little bit. Clear, clear, clear. Let's read it like a mass choir. One, two, go. Uh huh. Uh huh. L. Which is by faith. Leave this verse. This verse explains everything I want to do. When the Bible says that by faith, uh, when it says that by faith, Noah did this thing. You need to understand what that means. Rain had never fallen. But God told Noah that rain was coming. So build an ark. The ark is three stadia long. Like if you put um, Old Trafford now. Three of it. The football field. That's how long the ark was. Build a boat. The Bible says by faith, being warned of God as of things that not seen as what? Yet. Rain had not fallen. Huh? Rain had not fallen. But. Please, are you here? Rain had never fallen. The Bible says in Genesis, it said the heavens opened and even the bowels of the deep opened up and let forth water. It's the same way Jesus said people will be eating and giving to drink and then we are telling people receive Jesus and people think they will always have time but suddenly suddenly it will come. But why did Noah do it by faith? Because he believed that 
the um, he believed that as God has said it, it will happen, even though rain had never fallen before. So also we believe that the Messiah is coming and we live for him. We believe that there is a judgment that is coming and we have found safety in the ark. What is Noah's ark? Figuratively, the ark is believing in the gospel. This is what he says. He said he prepared an act to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness which is by faith. In some sense, this is what the gospel is. When I preach the gospel to you and you reject the gospel, it has become to you a condemnation. But when I preach it to you and you receive it, it has become to you what? Salvation. And if you receive it, the way Noah moved by faith. Remember I said you can't separate faith from obedience. How do we see Noah's faith? In building of the ark, obedience. So, in seeing his faith, um, he builds the ark and saved his house. It is the same way that anyone who has believed in the gospel, uh, anyone who has believed in the gospel has entered into the ark for safety. Glory to God. So, when we say we are living by faith, we are living in the consciousness of the Messiah that is coming back for us. We're living in that consciousness. He said, and he became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Now, if you read 2 Peter, the Bible tells us that Noah, in 1 Peter 3, he said, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Yes, he said, um, I think it's Hebrews that even says that, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Look at this verse. He said, the long-suffering of God did what? Waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing. Wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved, how? By water. Pay attention to this. How many of you know this verse? Genesis chapter 6 verse. Um, where's that verse again? I think it's verse 3. Genesis chapter 6 verse 3, yes. He said, and the Lord said, my spirit shall, all, shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be what? 120 years. A lot of people think this verse means that God shortened man's lifespan to 120. But that's not what this verse means. Simple proof. We have people after Noah's day that lived longer than 120. So that cannot be what this verse means. So when he says that my spirit shall no longer what? strive with man. How exactly does the Spirit of God strive with man? I, I wish I had time to explain this carefully. But how exactly does the Spirit of God strive with man? Jesus said that the, what the Spirit of God brings to the world is conviction. Conviction of their sins. So if the Spirit of God is going to convict people of their sins, that was exactly the striving. Some theologians actually say that when he said that he did it for he was a preacher of righteousness in the building of the ark Noah builds this ark 120 years and he was preaching and shouting to people 60 to 120 years to enter into the ark and he got no single convert. That was the striving for 120. That's when God said, my spirit will no longer strive. I'm giving you 120 years to repent even as Noah was building the ark. As soon as the ark was built, judgment. Are you with me? But look at this. Noah had preached and Noah told everybody, please come into the ark. All they needed to do, please pay attention to this. They didn't need to, you see, a lot of people don't know what salvation is. Salvation is not just coming and saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my bad ways. I make a U-turn. 
from my, my sins. A U-turn and repentance. Anybody can feel bad. That's not salvation. Salvation is not a bad feeling. Salvation is the dead coming back to life. Salvation is escaping a judgment, the wrath of God that was due to us. That is exactly what salvation is. But look at what the Bible says. It says, it says Noah had been preaching and telling people to come into the ark. And anyone that came into the ark was what? Safe. Safety is in the ark. The same way anyone who has believed in the gospel has stepped into the ark. Uh, glory to God. Anyone who has believed in the gospel has what? Stepped into the ark. Simple. All you, need to do to, all you needed to do to express your faith was to enter the ark. Was to enter the ark. And the Bible tells us. I wish I had time to go through all of this. The Bible tells us that when the time was due. God did what? God himself shut the ark. God himself did what? God shut the ark. Okay. God himself shut the ark. That means two things. When it's time for judgment. You know Jesus told us about the acceptable year of the Lord. And then the day of vengeance. There is a day of vengeance that is coming. But now, when the acceptable year of the Lord, where anyone can repent and receive him, but the time is coming where no one will be able to repent again. Please, are you here, TC? Where no one will be able to repent again. All you will be able to do is to receive the judgment that is due you. That is due you. But also, the Bible says, and the Lord shut the ark. That, can, that's, that is something for you to rejoice about. Here's why. Because when I think of the fact that God shut the ark, Genesis chapter 7 verse 16. Genesis 7 16. That the Lord shut the ark. Let's just read it. It, it, it. it said, And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. When I think of this, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Are you ready? Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Or 16 rather. That's a 6. Okay, 6. Yes, it is. He said, being confident of this very thing. He, that he which had begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The same way God shut the ark for Noah, that the ark could not be opened, is the same way anyone who has believed in the gospel, Paul, may not have known. For some of you who are wondering, will I lose my salvation? Am I sure I'm going to hold on till the end? There's the part of the perseverance of the believer, holding on to what you have been taught and all those things. Those things are true. But this thing is another truth you need to know. Paul may not have known what is going It's the same way anyone that is saved. I can speak these words over somebody that is here. I said, being confident of this very thing. He that begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The spirit of God that is at work in you will defeat those inconsistencies. Glory to God. The spirit of God that is at work in you is stronger than your inability to hold on. The one that started the work in you will keep it until the day of Jesus Christ. So when I when I stand before Jesus, I'm not going to look and say, ah, there shall lies in hell. You know, praise God. I'm not going to look at it and see things like that. I'm going to look and say that he that begun that work in Shola kept it till the very end. Yeah. Yes, rejoice for Ade Shola. Shola, you're not supposed to be there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Then Jude 24 finally. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Look at this. He said, look at this is speaking about Jesus. Oh God. Please, do you believe the word of God? You need to allow the word of God intoxicate you from time to time. He said, who shall also confirm you until the end? 
Ah, say he will confirm me to the end. And that he will present me blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the day of Jesus, I'll be blameless. Jude chapter 24. That's Jude 1. Jude only has one chapter. 24. Look at this. You see, the same problems that the early church had, we, we had, we have. But Paul knew that and spoke this about them. He said, now unto him. Uh, now unto him. If it was unto me, there will be problems, but it's unto him. Are you please? Are you here? Some of you, your minds are wondering. Pay attention to me. Are you listening to me? If it was unto me, TC, are you listening to me? If it was unto me, it would be a problem, but it's unto him. Unto him. I have inconsistencies. I have weaknesses. Sometimes I don't pray like I should. Sometimes I don't study like I should. Sometimes I don't engage my Bible study like I should. Sometimes there are things I should do. I, I get angry. I don't walk in the fruit of the Spirit. I don't engage God like I should. But thank God is not unto me. Ha. It is unto him. Unto him. Unto him. Unto him. Unto him that is able. There is one that is able. There is one. There is one that is able. The one I'm talking about is the one who is full. The one who has all ability the one who the heavens and the earth stand by his power are you listening to me tc the one who the heavens and the earth stand by his power he's the same one that is able to keep me from falling he's the one that is able to keep me from falling and to present me how faultless faultless i have issues but it's not unto me hey I have problems, but it's not unto me. I'm not as strong as I should be, but it's not unto me. I, I may have faults. I may have failings. I may have weaknesses. But in my fault, he will present me faultless. It's the same way he shot the ark and shot me inside. He shot the ark. I'm safe in the ark. I'm safe in the ark. I'm safe in the ark. Four things I said, you see, before judgment. God entreated those people by Noah. He told Noah, preach to them to enter the ark. Nobody entered. In fact, Noah did not tell them, change your behavior. Noah told them, enter the ark. It's the same way the gospel is not to repent and come to Jesus. It's come to Jesus and he will turn your life better. The gospel is not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus alone and every other thing will align. That's why Moses, Noah did not promise them that when you come to the ark, you will have food to eat. You will have cars to drive. You will have all those things. Because in Noah's day, what they needed was to escape a coming judgment. In the gospel, what you need is to receive the life of Christ. Cars are good. Houses are good. All those things are good. But those things are not the primary things you need right now. Does God provide and prosper? Yes. But all he preached to them was the gospel was the gospel which is come to the ark is the same way in salvation all we need to tell you is come to jesus not jesus plus anything jesus alone many times we add many things because we don't believe the message is potent jesus alone when he shot me in the ark when he shot the ark he had me in mind as Noah was, Noah was not wondering that maybe as the, as the flood is coming, the, this thing will open up and Noah will fall out. God kept him there. God will keep me to the end. Say, God will keep me to the end. Noah was entreating them, preaching to them. But there was a hardness of heart. 
They wouldn't listen. They were enjoying their revelry. And that's exactly why Jesus said that just like in the days of Noah, people will be marrying and giving to marriage and suddenly. Number three, there's faith that bets obedience. That led Noah to build the ark. And finally, there was a judgment that came. The flood broke out. And then they were banging on the ark, but it's too late. For you as a child of God, that may mean two things. You have escaped judgment. Say, I have peace with God. Say, I've escaped judgment. And number two, it's time to tell people to come into the ark. It's time to tell people to come into the ark. The final one, and I wrap up the Passover. This story is found in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, the first thing we find is entreating. The Lord told Moses, he said, go and tell Pharaoh that he should let, my children, he should let Israel go that they may serve me. And Pharaoh said, who is God that I may obey him? But God had already told Pharaoh that Pharaoh will not let you go but by a strong hand. Pharaoh will not let you go. He said, but go. Now, the reason why I'm even using this story at all is because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 that Christ is our Passover. Christ is our Passover. All right? Yes, Christ is our Passover. The Bible also tells us in Hebrews eleven twenty-eight. 28. Hebrews eleven twenty-eight. 28. He said... Okay, through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. I'm going to come to this. Now, Exodus chapter 12, God knew Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh will not let you go, but go and tell him. And then God went to, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let me, and Pharaoh said, no, first of all, Pharaoh was the world power of that time. Pharaoh was like Russia or the US today. And he said, let them go. And he said, no. And God had already spoken to Pharaoh and he said, Israel is my firstborn. If you don't release my firstborn, I will take your own. And then God spoke to Moses. He said, I will walk a walk in Egypt. I will run a walk in Egypt. In fact, the Bible even lets us know that some, Exodus chapter 9 verse 20, some Egyptians, you know, they obeyed some of the instructions that Moses gave. And they moved their cattle inside. And they, they were, those plagues that, that was coming at that particular time, they didn't face the consequences. So when they listened to Moses, it shows that they too showed faith. Are you here? It means that when Moses gave a commandment, look at this. He said, he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servant and his cattle flee into the houses. This was when Moses said that hailstones was going to start falling and animals were going to die. They believed Moses and they took in their cattle. What this means is that God's plan has always been that anyone, Jew, Gentile, Yoruba, Chinese, Nigerian, whatever it is, if you believe, you will be saved. If you heed God's word, you'll be saved. But I'm coming to that. It means that they had faith. Now, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh will not let you go. I will do one more thing. He said, I will pass over Egypt. And then there will be tears in every house. The firstborn. But he told them, he said, put, kill a lamb. Do you remember? The, does that paint a picture in your mind of the one that was talking about the lamb that was to come? He said, there's a lamb, kill a lamb, a lamb that is one year old. Kill that lamb, put the blood of that lamb on your lintel. And he said, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. 
Please, are you here, TC? He said, when I see the blood, I will do what? I will pass over. It means that when he sees the blood, he was not going to check who is in the house. He was not going to check where you are from, your skin complexion, your good deeds. Uh, he was not going to check your good deeds. Is there blood? The blood is the caucus. Are you here? Is there blood on your lintel? If there is blood on your lintel, then I will pass over. Even if it, remember, this um, Exodus 9.20, the servant of Pharaoh heard it and obeyed. It's the same way that anybody who puts blood on their lintel, children of Israel or not, they were going, and even if the children of Israel did not put blood, they were going to cry in that house. So, the way in Noah's ark, safety is in the ark. In this Passover, safety is in the blood. Safety is in the blood. Listen, if you have received the eternal lamb of God, his blood is forever on your lintel. You have been blood washed and you have escaped the judgment. Are you here? You have been blood washed and you have what? Escaped judgment. And you have escaped judgment. So, he had spoken to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had hardness of heart. Pharaoh was not going to let them go. But he said that Pharaoh will not let you go, but by a what? A mighty hand. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 to 20. My final verse. Rise to your feet. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 19 to 20. Look at this. Look at this. Please, are you here? Ephesians um. Pharaoh was not going to let them go but by a mighty hand. And he said, and what? Verse 18 said he was praying that the eyes of their understanding be what? Enlightened. He now said that you may know. That the eyes of your understanding is enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of your calling. And you know, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the same verse 19. He now said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power in our direction toward us that believe? According to the working, now this word, give me in another translation, maybe CEV or something. CEV, or let me see if NLT still uses another word apart from according. Okay, he said, and I pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power, next verse, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Go back to verse 19. He said, Paul is praying that you understand God's, the incredible greatness of God's power. Listen, if I talk of God's power, that's mighty. Are you listening to me? If I talk of God's power, that's a lot. But he didn't just talk of God's power. He said, the incredible greatness. Incredible is one. Greatness is another. Of God's, so God's power is incredible and great. But he now talks about the, incre the greatness of this incredible great power and also talks about the incredibility of this, in the incredible greatness of this incredible great, incredible great power. He said, for us who believe him, and this is the same power he worked in us when Christ rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says we rose with him. So, when the Bible says that Pharaoh will not let you go but by a mighty hand, we were not going to be plucked from the power of sin, but by God's mighty hand. This mighty power is what God wrought in us. This is how God delivered us from sin.
This is how God delivered us from death. Sin is a big deal, but no shaking. Jesus died. Jesus died, and by his great power, he set us free from it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. Sin is dangerous. There is a judgment that is coming on sin, and a just judgment. But he that has come into the gospel has blood on his lintel. He that has come into the gospel has stepped into the ark. The person has escaped the flood. The person has escaped the angel of death that is passing. Anyone who believes in the gospel has escaped death. Lift up your hands and pray in the spirit. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. Nelson Mihalwa Ministries is a mandate that seeks to see men saved, trained, and sent. For more ministry content, visit us at c.me forward slash Nelson Mihalwa. And for contact details, follow on Instagram at Nelson Behagami. God bless you.